Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. You're responsible for the contents of your unconscious. That's the bad news identity offers, but your reward is nothing less than the retrieval of your very soul in so doing. Rabbit holes today include why some people are attracted to immortality, more comedy offered by the leaders of our world, how many shakes of the penis constitutes masturbation according to the Catholic Church, and a poem by yours truly about trigger warnings. Also, some big news, the new website identity.org is live. If you're curious about what you read on the new website and here in the podcast, Stace and Bree are available live on Zoom every two months. They will answer your questions, help with confusions, hold space for your feelings, and provide reflections. The first one will take place on Thursday, December 7, that's 2023. You can register for those curiosity circles on the event page of identity.org. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody. This is Deja Vu for Stace and I. Hello, Stace, because... Hi. Good afternoon. This is, I can't recall. We haven't done it in a long time, recorded um, twice in uh, two days. It's been a while. So uh, you'd think I'd be, we'd be right back in the swing of things, but I feel like we're um, doing our first episode yet again. Okay. And I want to, I want to start with related to that. We recorded the last episode yesterday, which was a sainthood episode about, uh, we talked a lot about surrendering to life outcomes. It was around uh, eight o'clock last night when I heard uh, one of my cats meowing somewhere between intrigue and anger underneath the house. And yeah. on Maui, Maui has an enormous feral cat problem. So uh, I figure oh, it's probably a feral cat. And I tried to find the where the conflict might have happened because um, my uh, uh, the, one of my cats is quite wimpy and could be injured by a feral cat. And I crawled all the way into the house. This is like a half hour before my bedtime with a flashlight and uh, discovered that um, this, in the standoff, my cat was uh, obviously dominating. All I could see was a little bit of the tail of the opposing cat who was up on top of a pipe in order to escape being oh. attacked. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, if it's a feral cat, um, then um, my cat Popo is going to be the winner here. So I'll just... Um, not deal with it. And then about a half hour later, I hear all this plaintive um, mewing. I couldn't even call it meowing. And I discover it's a kitten. And uh, the kitten is uh, extremely friendly. I'm able to touch her in about you know five or 10 minutes and she's starving and I feed her. And, um, and you know, it's like, okay, am I going to take her in? Like it's bedtime for me. I don't want to have to make a litter box, pull those things out of storage. So I'll just leave some food and water here. And if she's still here in the morning, then, you know, I'll take her in. So presenting (laughs) Diva, this is Mm. who I'm calling Diva. Say hello to everybody. Mm. She's a little shy. (laughs) This cat looked right into my soul this morning. And so, yeah, she's doing it right now. Yeah. See what I mean? She's got all three hoods, I think. She's well, she's certainly claiming ownership of you. Yes. <laughs> right. So I yeah, um, on the subject of surrendering to outcomes, I feel very much claimed. I didn't feel like I had much of a choice in this. I just kept taking the next step and then the next step, and I found myself 
planning, okay, when do I take her to the vet? And I was like, wait a minute, am I, have I decided this? I didn't decide that, but the decision decided. So yes. <laughs> uh, now I have a third cat, it seems. It, provided she doesn't have a microchip, I'll find out at the vet if she does. Uh, um, mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my little sainthood uh, show and tell. And uh, we are here today to be talking about, I don't know, 17, 18, we're close to the end of this list. We're talking about the, um, that you are responsible for the contents of your unconscious, which is one of the three main first principles of identity, right? Yes. Or is it first principles of, oh no, it's not just personhood because the, yeah. and those right. three are, if we can remember them, your response, don't, don't tell me. <laughs> I can, okay. I'm always two for three on these. I, I am too, usually. <laughs> You're responsible for the contents of your unconscious. The self is sacred of and to itself. And see, I can only ever get two. Do you we know are, the third? Yes, we are emotive beings before ah. we are willful, energetic, mental, and physical beings. Yes, right. So um, we're, that's what we're talking about today. And we've talked about this one before, but we're going to do a deeper dive on it. Any ideas where you want to start today? Well, yeah, it's um, this is part of the triad uh, foundation of identity for a really specific reason, mm-hmm. because um, even though Freud and Jung and Adler and the boys uh, back then, even Anne Freud uh, later, uh, were talking about the unconscious, uh, Jung was the best articulator of the general unconscious. Freud sexualized the unconscious, of course, in the way that he did, where a cigar is not always a cigar. Uh, And so um, Jung was really clear that um, when he was holding his Eastern kinds of paradigms overlaid onto uh, Freud and his uh, original explorations of psychology, um, he was really clear that you don't um, Uh, raise your energy by what you're conscious of, but by illuminating what you're not conscious of. That's Mm -hmm. a paraphrase, of course, in one of his more famous quotes. And when identity looks at all the paradigms out there, East and West, traditional and modern, psycho-spiritual and religious, all the uh, paradigms of growth and change, 98% uh, are, are are only focused on what you're conscious of. And then seek and, to construct on top of that to make you a better human being, whatever that exactly. means to the paradigm. You know? their, their foundation is on what's conscious to you. And of course, they, will, they would acknowledge if pressed that um, you have to unfold some things that are uh, you're not aware of in order to grow and change. But that's a very different, more shallow swimming in uh, uh, the fact that we have a, a, an entirely different take that basically up to two thirds of your consciousness is unconscious to you. Uh, not this is a far bigger um, uh, uh, percentage than the operating modalities of most paradigms of growth and change. They'll acknowledge the unconscious, but it's basically kind of a bother to get to, you know, in standard uh, therapy, it's uh, it's um, you, they try to find by uh, association, they try to find with Rorschach blocks, um, all sorts of, um, of uh, ways to get at what's unconscious. But uh, that's all. That's really not the forward uh, reality in that 
big of a percentage. For yeah, identity. yeah, a few months ago, I read Freud's paper, um, The Unconscious, called The Unconscious in 1915, and um, most of it. And he wrote this question, uh, like this is big build up to the question, how do you make the unconscious conscious? And what I was struck with was how really uninterested most of psychology yes. would then become. And that it's like, yes. it's literally the most important question in the history right. of consciousness. Yes. Because it's yes. upstream of our relationship with spirit, it's yes. really more important than, than how to, what's the nature of God or how do I abide with it? Because that question has to come first, at least according to identity. Yes. And, and then behaviorism would follow, which is ask the question, how do I ignore my unconscious and <laughs> trick myself into behaving how I want to? <laughs> that's the oh, whole paradigm. That's oh. what that paradigm is based on. Oh, that's that's really a, a, such a brilliantly simple way to to um, begin the divergence of identity from all these other paradigms yeah. of growth and change, right? Yeah. It's literally the most fundamental question. Because without that, all you will do is burnish your way uh, to um, a different version of yourself based on all sorts of assumptions that never take into account the depth, breadth, and height of uh, our unconscious sea of disowned and repressed material. So... Um, Identity uh, immediately, as soon as uh, the framework started unfolding in me, it was really clear that, okay, what's the reason? At first, I, it was really clear that when I looked at people and sensed them through both fourth chakra and sixth chakra, I could see, I, since I was a kid, that virtually um, the conscious um, personality of my parents and all their friends and all the wor adult world I was introduced to, I could see that there was a huge difference between what was coming out of the hole in their face uh, yeah. and what was really going on uh, behind their brain. Uh, and I always their look for brain. I always look for opportunities to um, to normalize you and identity, um, so that people don't think that you're trying to be some extra special guru person. I heard Ajashanti say the exact same thing, and I think it's it's not an uncommon. Well, it's not a common experience, but it's not like a unique experience for a very yeah. conscious child to have that experience of like, I, right. I never registered it that clearly. I just had this deep sense something was wrong. I didn't get that sure. adults were yeah. false that way. Um, yeah. But I've, I've read a number of teachers say things like that. Yeah. When, when if you're born with that, um, that capacity, it, it becomes literally uh, an insane human yeah, world it's maddening, yeah. uh, completely maddening and so uh the more i developed uh, my own um observational and sens sensational um as aspects sensational meaning senescence not not senescence uh, sensibilities um mm. now i'm getting old now senescently yes but uh, uh it was senescence really, like senility senescence, old age yeah oh it's, uh, i didn't know that word yeah, the, the the process of getting old when you're becoming senescent. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, okay. At any rate, um, uh, the the culprit. Uh, okay, so if we take that assumption, that offering by identity, that we're two up to two thirds uh, un of unconscious material that's driving our conscious intentions and actions that we have motives in the darkness or in the shadow, we could say, as, as uh, uh, we've been conditioned to refer that to, uh, refer to it as. And, uh, but what became clear is that when you, when you um, 
may emerge that we have that much unconscious and that we're emotive beings first, together those kind of um, uh, become a gestalt of, well, if we're emotive beings first, owing from the fact of our emoto soulful progeny of a love-based divine being, then the, the material in the unconscious is going to be primore, primarily emotive also. That was the next realization. Mm-hmm. And then once the uh, realization was there and some of the backup experiences I started to have with that, checking that out, then it became clear that um, there were two versions of our human selfhood really directly. Not first, it was the unconscious versus the conscious. But then it became clear that what was behind that that duality was a soul consciousness versus an adaptive conditioned local consciousness. And so that, yeah, when, that's when, when, that. when Yeah, when did that show up for you? I don't remember hearing you talk uh, about fo- this. Yeah, following uh, the, the non-dual event. Um, so when, part when, of the when you saw the architecture, the first architecture of the emotional body, you yes. had a sense that there was a soul behind all of that or at the bottom of what we call the egg. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, ex- exactly right. Because the the wipe of the mental faculties uh, that lasted about um, eight, six weeks or so fully um, made room for uh, the spiritual context that the pre-dual or non-dual is an aspect of, which, of course, would give um, a Zen master a, a metaphysical migraine. Right. You saw an essential <laughs> self after trying to wipe away all of it. Exactly. And I was successful in, in yeah, getting it wiped away uh, yeah. for a while, uh, six, seven weeks at max. And then it, it thundered back into uh, perspective, as I've said, another podcast, which was completely mysterious to me, shocking to me, because I thought myself and the divinity that I'd baked with my whole life up until that event was uh, basically all just a projection of wombic consciousness of mommy while you're still in the womb. That's what God was. But boy, when it when it yanked back, came just barreled back and while I was mid sentence at a satsang, um, it, uh, it, it everything twisted and turned and spun, and I barely was able to hold uh, standing up, and I had to sit down. And then finally went back to my teacher who had proclaimed me, uh, Abba Dabba Do, go find your own satsang. Uh, and went back to him and said, da 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 da, uh, I've got this combination thing going on. And as we said several times, I think in the podcast series, uh, uh, he, he, he said, well, either I, mis- I misread your uh, enlightenment or you've got something going on that we haven't described before. Which is really that, remarkable that he said that. Yeah. That, it was yeah, truly unattached. Truly, he he never he the only I only know of one thing he took any sort of non-negotiable position on only one thing and that was that he preferred potato chips more than any other food, but that again was a preference. But it became basically an ingra- a position of existential. Uh, yeah, if you're going to have an <laughs> unmovable position, then you know yeah, potato chips. Right. Was he? I, you know, here's a question I never asked: Was he particular about his brand of potato chips, or could it be any kind of chip? Oh God! I uh, I never saw them with those Pringle uh, manufactured off a of factory looking yeah. things. They were so, always yeah. irregular. So it was probably uh, Jay's or Lay's potato chips. Lay's, probably. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That was back curious. in the late eighties. Uh, uh, so yeah, probably was Lay's potato. Three chips. out of four Zen masters prefer. Lay's <laughs> 
four. <laughs> prefer, right? But but are yeah. not attached to in parentheses. <laughs> every every satsang, his handlers, uh, two or three of them, uh, they would always have this big white bowl. I mean, this big big white bowl of, of potato chips for him to munch on during. You would satsangs. eat them while he was teaching. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. That's how <laughs> engaged, disengaged he was from um, actual <laughs> human interaction in that way. But he was scorched earth, um, uh-huh. uh, and I was so so lucky to find him. Uh, I thought I'd have to go to Nepal uh, mm-hmm. to find such a uh, one. But that's exactly how the Buddha was. The Buddha would never align himself uh, with any position that precluded its opposite. Now, you'd think this is de rigueur, de facto, for Zen masters, but they are chock full of uh, non-negotiable absolute positions. Uh, position, positionalities. That, yeah, Adi uh, for example, was quite opinionated oh, oh, for oh, being oh, awake and yeah, kind of excessively passionate and you know. exactly the the most uh, uh, glaring one of which is that there's the self, the personal self, is an illusion, and that is non-negotiable across yeah. the board. The the Buddha would never say that. He would simply say you can't experience the personal self except as a co-arising mutuality with experience, which Zen masters teach, but then say as an absolute that the self is an illusion, not this in-between um, kind of uh, um, gentle, undefinable river verb. And the defense uh, would be that they're saying that just to help you wake up, it's not absolute truth, it's a strategy. But as we've said before, well, then why why do you have to say something different in order to wake someone up than what the Mm -hmm. metaphysics of your paradigm? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot you don't have a paradigm that is a paradigm. Oh, oh, I forgot you don't have (laughs) metaphysics either. Right. Right. Because as soon as they get, as soon as they're incoherent, then they just, you know, uh, dissipate like smoke on top of the fire. You know, who cares? Oh, that's a good metaphor. When as soon as you say that this, the personal self is an illusion, you have a metaphysical basis for a paradigm. I'm sorry, you can't get around this. And how these folks go to sleep to that fact is astounding to me, given the depth of the real enlightenment. Uh, it's just yeah. astounding to me. So, at any rate, uh, once that yeah, the Go ahead. No, I said it was. I was feeling us go back to the uh, the uh, the nature of the unconscious, and I just want to insert yeah. something here. I did because I wrote an article about this a while back. That was why I read that um, Freud paper, and I was looking for like what does do various aspects of psychology think about how much the unconscious is driving our behavior, and uh-huh. some think quite a lot, uh, and some mostly they don't really define it, and that's what I found really interesting is. You know, identity says it's way more than half, which is really important, whether it's more than half or less than half, and what there is to do about it then. Because some people say, well, there's a, quite a lot of your behavior is driven by it, and there's nothing you can do about it. And ta-da, there's no free will, see? Which yes, is what we've been talking yes. about recently. Oh, my God, yeah. So, uh, to, to complete that little story arc there... Mm-hmm. Um, after the the event, and when I saw when the d- divinity's uh, um, d- expanse, a seamless expanse of being uh, returned without discluding the pre-dual, uh, uh, also they coexisted. Oh, that, that must have surprised the hell out of you. Well, yeah, because that was the first. This this is impossible according to the metaphysics of the paradigm I didn't study with. The right? metaphysics of all the paradigms of would all say that's the paradigms. impossible. It, though there is no overlap of 
non-dual teachings and uh, a dual teachings. Uh, Western Not without religion. eroding both one or the other, where you end up with exactly. like a Shanti service tries to straddle the middle. But sure. you, it's you, not, you yeah. can if you're if you're delicate and yeah. and detailed, you can straddle the middle. Um, yeah. But but uh, as soon as that came in, uh, then it also counter illuminated uh, divinity and non duality coexisted, and then it didn't take very long to realize that what I'm looking at when I see people is in a local personality and a brightly lit back personality behind them of the soul and so and that soul upon the last piece of the realizations was i saw that it was singular um way less way more porous than our physicalized version of ourselves of course but it is a singular entity that belies all this nonsense about uh, uh, science trying to allow us to live forever <laughs> in the physics is one in one as one gender uh, in, in one set of conditioned personalities I mean, what how boring is that mm-hmm. at any rate i saw that it was singular across time and that it was indivisibly uh, indivisible and eternal where everyone out there forget about trying to live forever as a human it, you would be bored to death after 120 or 140 years, I promise you, no matter how good a shape you're in. We already live eternally as the soul. I'm sorry, uh, the same soul reincarnates in different personalities over many, 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 many lifetimes. Yeah, you know what? It, it lands on me in this moment that that desire to live forever in one life is actually mm-hmm. driven by the fear of change. Oh, good call. It just yeah. hit me like I just I barely figured this particular life out <laughs> and I you know you're at 60 70 whatever and I got this now kind of and I yeah. don't want to do any other configurations of humanity <laughs> and start over. <laughs> uh, and the, we we know what the source of that is as we'll talk talk about here in the next few unfoldments here. So in that sense uh, all of a sudden the uh, the the individual soul, eternal individual soul was real not an illusion, which made then by counter illumination, the local self that was standing in front of it full of unconscious material, um, also real, less real than the soul. And that that's where the famous quote came out, everything is real, but some things are more real than others. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking at a local personality that was real, a soul behind it that was realer, and behind the soul, a coarctation of divinity that defined my soul and everyone else's soul as unique and forever um, uh, imprinted with uh, uh, divinity's love-based nature. Did so you have anyone to triad. talk to about what you were no. seeing? With- that must have been awful. No. Uh, well, I, the only when about uh, I, if I remember correctly, as I began stumbling about up there on this in the middle of satsang with this thing that hit me uh surely wished it had been a little less embarrassing if it hit me while i was home having a glass of wine or something but uh uh when, when i had a couple of people come up and help me because i was a little bit of reeling and i had to sit down and then they said what happened and and i all i did all i could do is report what was happening in that moment and out of my mouth came this what i just uh-huh. said this there's this triad of realness real local personality more real soul and most real divinity out of which both of those precipitate so 
all of a sudden, that's a whole new paradigm. You and then in that spirit alone, as you just mentioned, in in the divine, most real aspect within which the other two were embedded, non-duality and presence of a of a conscious divine being coexisted. So mm-hmm. I. I, I I could not deny it. Went to my teacher to try to get some clarity. He he uh, said uh, the be- most beautiful didn't take a position. Uh, he just he would never take a position except about potato chips that precluded its opposite. Um, uh, so um, I identity came out of a what if this is true and is still to this day based on a what if this is all true. Certainly not as any absolutism. It's to be tested, as we've said so many times in these podcasts. So in that sense, if all of that, if all of that is true, and after almost 40 years of of exploring it and not finding yet any inner or outer contradictions of any fractal of identity that that, uh, um, doesn't cohere with every other aspect, uh, we're pretty much uh, in a mode of, well, it is what it is until it isn't. Uh, with identity, and uh, mm-hmm. every time, every year that passes by, it becomes more deeply and uh, 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 uncoded, uh, uh, and so it keeps over uh, uh, giving us new information that continues to be to cohere with all the teachings in the past. So we're confident that it's at least experientially uh, good enough to to for me to dedicate my entire life to. Uh, so in that well, yeah, sense. Couple of days ago, I was thinking about that um, uh, Churchill quote that uh, democracy is the worst form of government after all of the others. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was thinking in a moment about identity, like it's it's hard. It's the model itself is you know so beautiful you could paint it on your walls, but the practice of it, the walking of the path, is very difficult. Yeah. And I was thinking in that way how identity is the worst paradigm after all of the others. <laughs> <laughs> in, that, in that sense, yeah. In that yeah. way, yeah, because it is uh, difficult. Of course, well, we flip around old Winston's uh, um, picture and say that democracy is the least worst um, form yeah. of government relative to resonating with natural human soul-based consciousness. Uh, mm-hmm. It is fraught with uh, uh, an enormous amount of, of seemingly unsolvable conflict <laughs> just yesterday, just yesterday, they they were in the in the House of Representatives, the legislative branch of the American government. Uh, two two men and one a senator uh, was uh, threatening to physically beat up another one in session on on C-SPAN. Um, Marjorie Tur- uh, I mean, you just the teenage. Uh, Did you hear? Uh, Did you uh, hear Mike Johnson? That's the Speaker of the House, right? Yeah. Yeah. Third in line for president. Did you hear this? I, 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 I don't know whether I hope you have or hope you haven't. He uses an app called uh, Covenant, I think is the name of it, that is an anti-masturbation tracker app where you have a buddy that you help hold you accountable to not using porn and masturbating. Guess, oh, you don't, you haven't heard of this. Guess who his buddy is? His 17-year-old no, that would be Margie, that would be awesome. It was MTG. Marjorie Taylor Greene. No. <laughs> no, his his buddy on that app is his seventeen year old son. No joke. Oh no. Oh yeah. no. Oh no. And now oh. this is not only is that happening, but now it's public information that that's happening. As if that wasn't wounding the kid enough. 
And yeah. as I think we said, let, let's add another Mike. Is it Michael Johnson? I think yeah, Mike, Michael Mike Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. He has completely redefined. Uh, uh, he said it's always been misunderstood the separation of church and state. Yeah, you mentioned that in a previous podcast. Yeah. Yeah. The, and he, the separation he came out and said, to protect yeah. the church. Yes, not to protect the state. It was always misunderstood. Of course, that is based on the fact that he has a stern belief that the founding fathers were Christians when they were not. Uh, We've said that a dozen times here in these podcasts. So the poor guy is really uh, um, handicapped in consciousness domains. uh, Third in line of the presidency. uh, Disabled. Developmentally disabled. disabled. (laughs) (laughs) Developmentally disabled, yeah. So, I mean, that doesn't make him less a child of divinity. That's fine. But uh, it does make his personality reek a little bit about a little bit like, no, I won't use that metaphor. Uh, For us, for for those that have third eye and four, four and six uh, hooked up in some way, personalities have smells to them. (laughs) They do for me. Anyway. Smells and textures. And yeah, I just, when I, yeah, I was just feeling into that, like, I was just wanting to say, think about what kind of consciousness is going on in someone that thinks it's okay to become a let's not masturbate together buddy with your 17-year-old son. And I was just going to think about that. And then I felt actually my soul investigating his soul. And I didn't know I could Uh do that. And I don't want to do that with him, but I just started to feel like I could ooze into him and actually experience that consciousness. That's different. That's a sainthood thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that with someone I like (laughs) instead instead (laughs) of experimenting with him. Yeah, you. Um, it becomes quite odiferous. Uh, yeah, it's uh, if like you, if you, climbing into a trash compactor or something. Yeah, and, and that doesn't mean he's trash. Just that his local personality has been conditioned in a certain way to distort reality so deeply that you can't really have a cogent conversation with. Yeah, because the essence of what he's doing with his son is, of course, love, and his intention yeah. is that it's, it's love, love. It, yeah. but it's twisted up like a uh, ball of twine. Man, wow. Well, that's a good segue. Um, his, his intention is completely honorable in one way, to bond in spirit uh, against a human foible that is sinful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, oh, I, can't, I can't let this go. I can't let this go. It's, it, it resonates. The Pope just, just decided. Oh, uh, I didn't hear this. Tell me. Oh, oh, my God. He just decided that he just said it is, it is a sin. It is you will be excommunicated from the Catholic Church if they find out you're a Freemason. Oh, I did see that. Yes. That a, that a Freemason, which maybe there's five or six million of them around the planet, a Freemason has an entirely different worldview and paradigm, uh, even use the word paradigm, uh, mm-hmm. than Roman Catholicism. And I, and I just sat there and I had to hold back a snort, which I was unsuccessful uh, at doing. <laughs> And uh, because I wanted to say to uh, Francis, uh, look, guy, uh, by your paradigm, Roman Catholic's uh, paradigm, every other religion is wrong. And if you're not baptized as a Roman Catholic, they're going to hell. So why would you need to say Freemasons are going to go to hell, basically, uh, because they're against a paradigm, when you would say that evangelical Protestants we're Trust, also going to hell. <laughs> Every other religion but Catholicism yeah. is going to hell. 
So um, yeah, that's weird. you can't belong to any of them. Why would you pick out the Freemasons? You see, so he's, he wants his self images that he's very ecumenical, you know, but to be ecumenical, uh, he has to ignore his own dogma that says every other person who's not baptized a Catholic is going straight to hell. Um, and yeah. so we have more comedy uh, at, by the leadership of the world here, uh, inherent to the unconscious, let's say. Uh, so back to Michael. Um, his intention, his conscious intention is reasonable, but if there is a, up to, in our opinion, an identity up to a two-thirds reservoir of unconscious motives that drive conscious intentions, we can easily uh, deconstruct and find, help someone find a, an unconscious motive that is so terrified of not being um, uh, centered as a human being that they have to overgrip the dogma of a religious teaching that denies very human things like masturbation. Why? Why did the ape? Why was the ape line picked uh, for angel souls who initially, you know, move it into the human domain of consciousness when our hands can reach our crotches? Yeah, it could have I been mean, any species. Yeah. It could have been any. It could have been a snail. Snail can't masturbate unless they drag their their uh, their egestive. Uh, um, and even then, they, they move so slowly, it would be hard to build up any kind of friction. Exactly right. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, come on, folks. You have to learn how to relate to this capacity to masturbate. Masturbate. I, I, Brie was astonished the, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I said that uh, my, the nuns used to just drill it into us as a fifth to sixth grade when the boys started to, you know, uh, that, that more than any more than three shakes of the penis is masturbation. So when we're peer, when we're standing up as the little kids peeing in the urinal, we had to count our shakes to get it all out and done. Or if it went to four, it was a sin, and you had to go to Saturday. You had to go to confession and and confess that you were masturbating. No way! Like I really? I promise you. I promise you. This is what we were taught. Right? Wow! Uh, what a great image of the invasiveness of that. So like. You're peeing, you got your lingam in your hand, and you're having to count the shakes because the church is in that urinal there with you. Right. Wow. And that, that, that's exactly the framework, Joseph. Uh, get, get the church out of uh, the bathroom. You know, uh, it doesn't bedroom. belong there. And the yeah. bedroom. Yes, exactly right. So, in that sense, all that, there's this, all this unconscious material that only needs to reach for religious absolutism, scientific absolutism transhumanistic <laughs> absolutism uh, any absolute all absolutisms are absolutisms are a, a teratomic cancer of human consciousness uh, identity would offer that no one no matter how divinely inspired least of all me uh, has any handle on absolute truth so you by believing that you can that even divinely inspired writings like gospels or Qurans or uh, Kama or Sutras uh, um, are, are all divinely uh, inspired and absolute and can't be questioned is a, is a cancer of consciousness. Yeah, in Islam, uh, I just have to mention, they, they double down because there's lots of holy scripture that say this is the absolute word of God. But as far as I know, Islam is the only one that says, and this is the last word. Yes. There will be uh -huh. no prophets after this one. Oh my God! Yeah. Talk about pride and hubris for a paradigm that's against pride. 
to yes. say yeah, Muhammad was the last prophet. There can be no one. How it's so it's so arbitrarily absolutely. It wasn't even necessary. No, right? it wasn't necessary no. at all because nobody else says that. No, but it's equivalent to to Christianity that says yeah. our our God was spermlessly birthed. It's implied. Oh. Yeah, Christianity doesn't say there will be no prophets after Jesus, but it is right. kind of implied because it's like, <laughs> we're waiting for him to come back. We're not waiting right. for someone else. So That's right. I guess he's it is only, the same. He's the son of God and the son of man together uh, in some mysterious way, just like the host is wheat and the body of Jesus at the same time. <laughs> That's why if so, you have an allergy, you can't eat it. I, can't. I will laugh about that until the day I die. Oh, we covered that in a oh previous one. God. Oh. If you have celiac disease, it proves yeah. that the whole Catholic Church has to be dismantled because you're allergic <laughs> to the body of Christ. Unless you're also allergic to the body of Christ. And not just It could be. Oh, uh, uh, it hurts to laugh. You That's know, what they literally. would have to say. Well, you know, right. uh, uh, Mr. Right. Priest, I, I ate the, the host and I had an allergic reaction. I got this sore throat and I'm only allergic to wheat. Oh, well, you must also be allergic to the body of Christ. That's what I have to say. Oh, Because we changed that shit. I, that I wasn't a wafer. No, I, I see an, an entertainment uh, yeah. skit. Where it wouldn't we be very long. I, I don't know where no. else to go with that. No, no, it'd be like a Monty Python short yeah. uh, uh, moment. Yeah. Uh, you and know. you could do it with the blood and the wine too. Like, oh, well, you got yeah. drunk, you drank a bunch of the wine. Well, that's yeah. because Jesus's blood is like malt liquor, man. It's really strong stuff. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Enough, enough of tilting at windmills here. So okay, they say, so, no, no, that's great. If you can't, you, you, you got to laugh, half laugh, high, half cry about all this stuff. Uh, no. Um, so we're not being elitist here. We're just being sad in a, with a smile on our face at how tragic this all, all everything we're saying is, these positions. Okay, and so, only because nobody knows they're testing paradigm or not. Some people, right. Most people, they don't realize they're testing paradigm. So they then have to engage in this sort of circus act of yeah. over committing because there's no meta to, I don't know what's true. I'm trying out this absolute word of God thing to see if that's going to work for me. Then it mm -hmm. wouldn't create this clownish absurdity where people are having yeah. to double down on, no, 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 I yes. really am absolutely sure this is true. When deep inside, they are terrified that they're not, that it's not. O only an equally uh, doubting uh, inner person would need the warm blanket of an absolutism. Uh, yeah. to take them out of their deep and abiding existential insecurity and non-confidence. They and need we to would hang say, their head on it. Yeah. yeah, and we're saying that is an aspect of their unconscious that they are responsible. That's a whole other layer that we haven't really gotten to. That yeah, it's there and running your life yeah. is a big statement that you're responsible right. for doing something about it as a whole second clause. When I first started talking about this, Joseph, uh, back in the day, I, I'll never forget somebody in the audience, it was a small audience in a library, uh, said, that's so unfair. That's the right reaction. <laughs> and I said, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what your unconscious uh, would say. Yeah. And he said, no, that's my conscious me. And I said, are you, are, <laughs> nope. are, are you sure? Uh, at any rate, if it's not, uh, let's take a half step back and lead our way right into that. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, that. Um, it's, it's, it's one thing to say that two-thirds of our consciousness reservoir is not, we're not aware of driving 
uh, unconscious motives driving our conscious intentions, meaning the you that is conscious is not your realist you. And of course, there's no spiritual tradition that says um, you have to, uh, um, you're, that you're re secondarily responsible for the contents of that unconscious. Uh, once, uh, uh, after, after everything divine being and personal reality came back to me, uh, somebody in a, in a, in a sagehood uh, 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 teaching uh, moment, someone asked me, well, um, would, would a guru, when a guru enlightens to the illusion of duality, uh, um, uh, and, and the, how the self is held as a noun, we would say nowadays in that language, he used a different uh, phrase. Yeah. But um, would he have to undo all the dualities in his unconscious? And I said, great question. Who, any, any Zen person here want to answer this? And some person raised their hand, I think it was a woman, and said, no. Um, because once they are aware of the illusion of all dualities, you don't have to confront every duality, conscious or unconscious, in you to have them all dissolve uh, and the immolation of your attachments to your illusion. And that's and the I very said, definition of spiritual bypassing right there. Exactly right. <laughs> and <laughs> so that, that would, yes, absolutely. That great call because that is internally resonant with their paradigm yeah. um, mm -hmm. that you only need to recognize the totality of duality as illusory and never look at the content wholesale. of the dualities. Yeah, right? it's a wholesale dismissal. Mm -hmm. A wholesale dismissal. So I wound up saying that. I said, thank you. That You, you represented your paradigm beautifully. Mm -hmm. and, and she said, uh, represented the paradigm beautifully. Oh, and boy. I said, oh, oh, it's a paradigm now. Oh, oh, wait! No, I mean, oh, oh, oh. she. That's she not just, what I meant, right? She took a bowel move, uh, an, an etheric bowel movement in that moment. You know, <laughs> she did. She it slipped right out of her mouth. And uh, mm -hmm. at any rate, um, okay, what does that mean? Uh, so, if we backtrack just a little, um, there's a soul you that is um, upstream of your local conditioning, and it's and. Your conditioning created an, and is soulfully in, relative to the soul, your soul's consciousness, a soulfully in, inauthentic version of yourself that got conditioned into believing that uh, everything you're conscious, your that your whole being is what you're conscious of, uh, because no one, your parents or your society or your family or your your culture, didn't uh, inform you that your local personality is just a downstream version of your individuated soul. They might teach it in the church on Sunday, but they certainly uh, don't teach it in everyday life uh, as a child, learning how to be the, an, what an identity means. Right? I have an, a, a, an example here. I was just talking to a client this morning who is um, he's with his second wife, and both of the women that he married uh, during the course of the marriage acquired a pretty rare and debilitating disease that causes them to be very dependent on him. Content of it doesn't really matter. But the result of that is he's it's like he's it's like being a single parent and he's got um uh, still one kid who's around twelve or thirteen and his uh, wife's just not able to do a whole lot and needs a lot of supervision because bad things could happen if she 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 could her blood pressure can just drop really precipitously precipitously. And so fascinatingly, he, he's been married twice and both of these women have had this very rare disease. 
And so what I was talking with oh. him about today was oh. like, well, what happens if you put on the lens of that you chose this somehow? Mm-hmm. And he was like, chose it. He's like, I choose to stay with her every day. That's what I've chosen. I go, yeah, yeah. But if you consider that it it's, can't be luck that you ended up with this twice, mm-hmm. why would you have chosen this unconsciously? What would it be that you're supposed to learn? Right. right. And that's an example of taking responsibility yes. for the contents of your unconscious. And he did not like it at first at all. Yeah. But where we ended up with it was really cool. He saw how how much of his life and his hardships have actually forced him to move from a pretty irresponsible, punky kind of kid to a highly mm-hmm. responsible person destined to be a leader of men. Um, and uh, that's what it forced him to do. And I was like, so do you think if you if both of your wives that you've had weren't very dependent oh by the way he also has a son who i think is 12 or 13 12 or 13 who is on the autism spectrum so even more Mm -hmm. dependence right so it forced Mm -hmm. him to grow up really really fast and i said if you didn't have these configurations going on what do you think your life would have been like he's like oh yeah i would have stayed a punky over aggressive kid i was like well maybe your soul knew that this mm-hmm. is what you needed in order to grow up and chose these difficult circumstances like a weight you could lift to get stronger. Right. Fortunately, wow. at the end, he was pleased about the conversation because I thought he was going to hang up on me in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now that you've uh, uh, you told that beautiful story, it's important to note uh, for the listeners that what we would what what we assay uh, and evaluate as the unconscious and ways to unfold it into the conscious, very unique ways of doing that. Um, It's important to note that the unconscious is both emotional, local emotional wound-based and spiritual uh, unknowns that you've forgotten in before uh, with the the, uh, 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 incarnational imperatives that you set your life's compass for in this any one lifetime. So here was a great example of, of, an, of an incarnational imperative that was necessary for him to move from that state as a punky uh, teenager to a, a self-response, more self-responsible adult uh, who might be even a leader. So it's not just spiritual things that are that make up the unconscious. It's actually the majority of it, 60-70% of that two-thirds is emotional wounding-based conditioning that uh, was normalized uh, by your family's paradigm uh, or the culture, the family culture, the family culture, culture, right? And I see those as, that's the knots in the hose, the knots of the emotional wounds that are kinking up the soul hose. Exactly. And this is why psychologists who can't imagine why uh, a 22-year-old would all of a sudden um, uh, acquire an M16 and uh, start shooting into a bar uh, when they had lovely parents who loved them. In fact, they were even God-fearing Christians, by the oh, way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they would think, where did this come from? Either a, the devil's got him or he's got some neurological disease that uh, alters his value system or something. They don't realize how much uh, uh, being being raised by a fundamentalist Christian uh, uh, culture of a family 
uh, is going to have to repress so many aspects of nominal natural humanity, like masturbation, for example, like we Mm -hmm. were saying, um, that it gets all pent up in the unconscious uh, when when the child doesn't realize how twisted their conditioning is becoming, how anti-human such a culture of a family would impart to the child. And so one day that snaps and by God, he's got to take it out on somebody how his own humanity has been denied to him in some semi-conscious way. Well, there's a sort of corollary there is that a parent is responsible for the contents of their child's unconscious. That is something that I... I started, thank you for reminding me of that. I forgot completely. At one time, one time only, I actually said a similar thing, Mm -hmm. and that elicited such gasps of, and and wait, you mean you're you're blaming parents for all of their the kids' uh, 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 bad things? And then I had to really backtrack of of, that's not blaming of uh, the the parent as much as blaming holding a parent responsible for what they're unconscious of in imparting to the kids. You know, I want to answer something here before I forget. Because there's been a few different times I wanted to get this. Um, what identity can show you, specifically the uh, emotional body and soulman process, because if we're making it sound like that taking responsibility, it can sound like a willful set of work to do. But I think it's a useful distinction to make. The, the soul in human embodiment just does this. Yes. A, a soulful parent will automatically would automatically be curious infinitely, if that's possible, about their impact (laughs) on their kid, they wouldn't have to do it. It would just happen. And in the inverse of that, that has been sort of present, I've been wanting to say this since the beginning of the episode here, the inverse of that is that the unconscious protector in us actively wants to keep the unconscious unconscious. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. not a passive thing. And you you will discover this Mm-hmm. In your EBE experience, if you choose to to embark upon it, you you will see that it's like it's it's not accidental or incidental. It's right. it, the, the 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 fact that ninety eight percent of the paradigms on the planet are constructive, building on top of a set of knowns and absolutes. That's not an accident. The protector yeah. is very much making sure that no one looks yes. to, at the man behind the curtain. Exactly. Leave that alone. The unconscious, if there is one, it doesn't influence that much. If it does influence much, there's not much you can do about it anyway. Hey, maybe there's no even free will. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain and just see what you can do to improve the mess you already now are now rather than burn that down and reinvent it, which is what EBE is. Yeah, beautifully said. Uh, It's not an exaggeration to say if you don't burn down uh, the uh, deconstruct, let's say, the uh, version of of your protection. You are largely two thirds uh, in in uh, embodiment right now. Not only two thirds, because the soul can't be completely shadowed out. It'll come out and around, above and below your your compensatory uh, protector, as Joseph just described it. Um, so it's a mix, but in a, it's a mix that 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 protector will is intentional wants to keep it unconscious, which is why you have to be, uh, we have to help deconstruct it for the soul behind that inauthentic version of yourself. And we, we don't do it by trying to break its spine. Uh, 
we we do it by honoring why it had to exist in the first place to create all that unconscious which it usually doesn't even really know or remember itself it doesn't it's, it starts too young mine started uh before i was the age of one with some inappropriate uh, touching that happened to me as an infant and so it'll start that soon where something has to armor over to get through the present moment and overwhelms the uh the innocent uh, largesse of the infant's uh, consciousness. So what does this all mean in a day-to-day way here is that if, if we're saying as a pivotal piece of the tripod of the foundational assumptions, metaphys- metaphysical assumptions of identity, that we are responsible for the contents of our unconscious, what that means is that you will consciously reap what you unconsciously sow. In other words, you're, the way you'll, you're, you're forced to be responsible for it is that karma will take care of that for you. What we call karma is simply that which you consciously reap, bad karma anyway, is what you consciously reap for what you unconsciously sow. So only by um, exposing and illuminating as much of the unconscious as possible are you going to one day eliminate what you would call or been, what we've been calling bad karma, bad outcomes? Like, why do I have two wives, for example, who have a similar um, disability, disability uh, that way? Well, is this an emotionally uh, wounded-based thing, or is it a spiritual incarnational imperative thing? In his case, it was a spiritual incarnational imperative. But for a lot of us, um, when we see that um, we go through um, relationships like um, diarrhea goes through uh, after eating a uh, fish taco, for example. (laughs) uh, you had uh, a lot of choices of food there. You went with fish yeah, taco, right? Uh, a bad, bad, bad fish taco. It was implied, uh, but yeah. yeah, full of mercury, maybe. And you know, oh, at any rate, um, uh, what last week's here, fish taco? Last week's, yeah. Thank you, Joseph. That's better. I love fish tacos, by the way, but uh, got to be careful. Got to go to yes. a, a, a reasonable place that you trust the freshness. So at this, <laughs> at this. <laughs> That was, that was so not you in that moment. That was so. Like you just channeled that joke. That was really funny. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, these things come in and out of me uh, so fast I can't track. So thanks yeah. for the reflection. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, um, uh, so those of us that are when you are, are bordering on, if you if you have a paradigm that's touched by the east, and there's an incarnation reincarnation feature to your paradigm. As you have many lifetimes, uh, we we don't you don't clear your karma uh, for um, uh, murdering someone necessarily by being murdered by someone. It's not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. It's that if you murder someone, if this is an anti-life thing, you when you murder someone else, it means you've already killed some part of you that would be morally and conscience wise unable to do such an act if it was measured and and uh, uh not not reactive in a defensive moment i, I want to so. seize a, a moment uh from just a second ago because there's an implication in the responsibility that we're responsible for the contents of our unconscious of course comes to bear directly on what triggers are and what there is to do with them Oh, As yes. we've talked about recently, and this is the perfect segue for a poem that I wrote in the last week that I wanted to read. 
And okay. I, I wrote this, I was, I was so triggered. I was unable to sleep about, I don't know, four or five days ago. Um, well, my email is telling me because I wrote in an email to myself four days ago. I, was a, I wrote this at two in the morning and um, it ha- it's supposed to be read in a uh, poetry slam kind of voice. So here we go. Okay. Trigger warning. The following may elicit feelings you don't want to feel. It may remind you of things you don't want to think about. It may call for you to examine uncomfortable aspects of yourself that you work hard to ignore. Trigger warning. You may experience vulnerable emotions like hurt, anxiety, anguish, and shame. Emotions that have been inside you since you were a child, when you were so alone with these emotions that you swore you'd never feel them again. So you turned into another person and left your soul behind because you knew how precious it was. Too precious for the closed, callous hearts of your parents. Trigger warning. So you performed and pretended to get along as a false version of yourself, adopting distorted values that would help you hide your soul. Notions like sacrifice and altruism, happiness and caretaking, letting things go before you feel them through, believing or disbelieving in the God you used to feel, and playing victim to reality such that you would expect a trigger warning. No one is responsible for your emotional safety unless you are a child. Trigger warning. You have a contribution to every experience you don't like. Trigger warning. This reality may offend you, and that is your opportunity to get curious about how deep your wounds go such that you need someone or something else to be a certain way for you to be okay. Trigger warning. Life is chaotic, impermanent, and extremely experimental. Species that lived here before were in fact destroyed in a mass extinction event, which could easily happen again. Trigger warning. You cannot know anything absolutely, and only your fear and pain would cause you to try. Trigger warning. You are responsible for the contents of your unconscious, and the worst experiences of your life are the best ways to learn about it. Trigger warning. You don't need a trigger warning because triggers aren't bad. What they trigger isn't bad. Why they trigger it isn't bad. When they trigger it is the exact right time. And where is the exact right place? Your triggers are gifts from God to help you reclaim your soul. Trigger warning. Now, why would you want to be warned about that? Oh, beautiful. Nice closure there. Just linking from right to the beginning there. Wow. Again, uh, one of the loveliest dimensions of this podcast series is how uh, Joseph will really, we say this over and over again, bring the the teaching rubber to the road of raw human experience. Uh, and how uh, I would just simply honor what what's so, so beautifully and passionately that poem says, Joseph, is, is that you can measure the degree of your unconscious by either how, by how big of a re- trigger reactions you have to life or their utter absence. Because you could say an, you have an utter, if you have no big, strong reactions to anything in life, you're either transcended, enlightened in an old traditional in, in a, uh, in, imperfect way, or you're so numbed down by your uh, um, your uh, protector self, you're not letting yourself have... Um, of uh, big reactions because that would mean you, you would have that means you have a spiritual self image, um, or and on the other side, if you are, the degree you are triggered, as Joseph just intimated, the degree you're triggered is the degree of your woundedness. And thank God for the trigger because without it, you wouldn't have the chance to explore a piece of your unconscious. 
Yeah, that's one of the primary answers to Freud's question. How do you make the unconscious unconscious? You follow your triggers. You follow those. Like I used to call it track your reacts. You know, track, track your reacts. Uh, That's the best way to know you start opening the door to the unconscious uh, because they're all they're chock full of emotive juice and they are powerful. And I don't even remember what what the trigger was. Um, Actually, the timing of the email says it was 1230 a.m. So this is 1230 a.m. I couldn't sleep because I was so triggered. That came through me. That was the first draft that is unedited. That's just how I tapped it out on my phone in bed. And then I, I went to sleep, and by the time I woke up in the morning, I'd gotten to the bottom of it. It took me, I woke up, and about 20 minutes later, it was like, oh, that's what it was. So it yeah. was like, that was a funny thing because I was, some protector in me was really trying to play victim to the trigger and uh-huh. be justified about it. And right. so my soul wrote me a poem to snap me out of it because it thought, it was like, no, no, this is your chance. This yeah. is your chance. Oh. How beautifully rendered, Joseph, to bring the principle of identity into real, hard, beautiful focus, uh, what it really means over and above the challenging framework of it. We are responsible for what I'm unconscious of. So let's let's close that up with what that person's first reaction was uh, when she said, this is so unfair. Yeah. well, unfair to whom and to what? It's unfair to our protector who wants to keep these things all under wraps because the, when they first went through the experience that they're now triggered back to, there was no way to emotively digest the pain of that moment. And yeah. so it, it's frozen in time. These are these are frozen structures of moments that that add to the armor, a little like mosaic tiles to your armor of the um, protector self. They're reasonable. They were there, but they literally, in the end, limit our capacity to live soulfully and wholefully uh, to our to our um, a destiny. I just so, got this image of like the the because the protector really has this worldview that repressing the unconscious must be done and it's like the name of the game like that's part like an existential aspect of existence yeah and it's so completely backward because actually the design of existence is it's constantly trying to help us see our unconscious through triggers through outcomes that we draw all of that i just got this image of like the protector is trying to like dry someone off while they're under a shower Oh, like, yeah. It's oh, just, it's, nice. you, or, or like mop a floor while sewage is getting pumped in like forever. It's just, it's a losing battle. And that's the human condition. It's just, yeah. we think that this is what we're supposed to do is ignore all that stuff and it will not be ignored. Yeah. It's tragic. It is. So exactly in all these ways, what you could call, you, you could react immediately and say, that's so unfair. Uh, identity responds. Um, that life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you, right? And you'll hear people hold that as a maxim, but but to feel and embody that truth requires access to the largesse of your soul version of self that is healable, heal, heal, healably emergent as yeah. you deconstruct and heal the protector self. Our goal, no one, not me, not anyone, uh, at least in not my experience in this lifetime anyway, the goal was never to be 100% healed of your protector. It's to reverse in the minimum the percentage so that one day 
and this is possible, um, we have proofs of this all the time, that where, where it is possible to have a two-thirds soulful version and continually be working with the one-third of the protector that will always show itself the brighter the soul presence becomes. It mm -hmm. will keep illuminating uh, uh, darker and darker shadows into gray, from black to gray and gray to white. Uh, and that's exactly what we do in identity, both in a personhood way, sagehood way, and a sainthood way. Yeah, this idea, because I, I, I hear it a lot. In fact, um, uh, I have a, 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 one of my service professionals, their signature, one of their signatures is um, everything in life happens for you. But the only paradigm I know that really can make that a applied, operationalized, yes. lived yes. experience right. is right. identity. Because the only other way I know how to do it, if you can't access the unconscious and see exactly how and why you're drawing things and then emotively process it, then it's right. either a transcendent kind of, well, I'll just let go and trust that everything is for yeah. me, even though I can't yes. actually feel right. that or directly right. experience it. Right. And um, that, that could be transcendent East or West. Um, or it's a mental reframe of like, well, yeah. my house burned down. I guess that's an opportunity to build another house. It's like, well, where did that happen? Like, is that's yeah. in your mind. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> is that true or did you just make that up out of your imagination? It's not necessarily right. based in soul level truth. Yeah. So if let's 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 close with the um the the opposite. If you don't take responsibility for the content of your unconscious, then you will be reducing your um soulful incarnation this lifetime to the um values and and um uh, uh playouts of your protector self. And in and that way, only live about a third of your capacity. And in that way, it's not, you can't say you're wasting your incarnative opportunity if you don't take responsibility, but, or and, um, it certainly does limit your options uh, because all you'll have to go, go all, your go-to thing, just like Joseph just said, is going to be some mentalized, behavioralized, self-imageized play out of that maxim uh, uh, that life is is for us. So you've got to get into the unconscious to actually embody it, uh, embody it. So uh, this is not, this is a really hard one for most people to take in as a linchpin of identity, but without it's it. It's a hard one for me and I've been working to embody it for 14, 15 years. It's still hard sometimes. Because yeah. every notch it becomes like, okay, I think I got it now. Then you find more unconscious stuff. I mean, it's, it's one of the yeah, most I brutal think, truths of, that's why it's in, in the top three list, I think. Exactly right. And as I say, it goes, it, it will continually unfold such that the Dark, the blackest unconscious will turn gray. Then you work it and work it and work it, and then it becomes light. It transmutes, literally. And then you reclaim your soulful heritage as a human being on Earth. Well, I can't think of a better way to close than with those words. So, next time, I don't know what we're going to do next time. Um, let me open up that file real quick here. We, what do we got left? Um, that your heart is almost entirely closed compared to how open it could be. It's, That's sort of a sequela of what yeah, we just talked about. I was just thinking, I don't think it deserves its own. I think it's too yeah, derivative I, of others. 
Yeah. What about um, then the last one, the only one on this list that we haven't covered is, it seems like an apropos closing, love is not what we think. I'm going to talk about the nature of love and how it's not what we okay. think. While we're let's do, let's, yeah, let's do that. Great. Perfect. Let's do that. Let's, let's have that. And, I, and I, have, I have an agenda for a following one. Uh, uh, that oh, is, more. Uh, yeah, but not a realization, a brand new unfoldment of uh, identity's uh, emoto spiritual dharma, a brand new development. I can't, uh, I can't, I don't want to wait. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk record about that love. right now. <laughs> we did two in a row here, uh, two days in a row. Uh, oh, well, not, yeah. if, it's a cliff, if it's a cliffhanger for me, then hopefully it will be for our listeners as well, and they'll have to wait till next time. Yeah, Tune in next time to find out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a harbinger, Joseph, for the future and how it will likely not take us pioneers 14 years to uh, solidify. Well, uh, that's certainly, yeah, that seems to be, uh, I, I look forward to the day where we can uh, maybe even be so bold as to advertise, queen quotes, <laughs> some kind of like, and we're pretty darn sure it's not going to take you 10, 15, 20 years to get to right. X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it took, it, since I did the whole identity uh, track backwards, it's taken me almost 40 years to complete uh, the three hoods uh, and soulments uh, as an embodied being. Um, so, uh uh, I've, I've I've been the worst case uh, lab rat. Uh, it's taken me the longest. Fourteen years, uh, Joseph is. Uh, there are other people who have done a little more, but not much than that. And most everyone else in their current uh, semi community is is just uh, starting out, or after only maybe three to four years uh, um, working at it right now. And so there was and they're no already to... twice as fast as the last generation. Yeah, exactly. Sure. This is exponential. It's not arithmetic. Um, and uh, the, these, the, the time is not the issue since we could do another podcast on how you could call um, gravity, love, and time, God. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another really interesting one. So uh, I'd like to do a, a podcast and it will fit into a 90 minute um, or slightly okay. more than 90 minute uh, context. So, All right. We'll do that after love is not what we think, which will be the next time. Episode yes. that'll be 81, which is a really cool number. And uh, uh -huh. until then, thank you, Stacey. These realizations have been a joy to do. And uh, we got one more to do. Thanks for everything. Thanks for identity. Thanks for bringing it to the world. There's not a week that goes by where I don't gain a greater sense of just how much that was and is to bring. So I keep appreciating you more on deeper and deeper levels. Well, the, the true measure of the gratitude, I accept that. I can now take that in without flinching too much. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the, the true where the rubber, rubber meets the road on that one is how many other souls you help uh, find mm -hmm. their way to their own a destinies and soulful outcomes of life. So there's, that's the best gratitude. Yeah. Is, uh, is, I used to say that um, I, uh, early on that I was like one of those park rangers with the binoculars in the hides way up in the mountains with the binoculars and uh, that I was, a, I was a fire spotter. And uh, um, what I would be able to do with third eye and 60% and fourth chakra 40%, I could see from a mile away or 10 miles away a soul that was going to or has already exhausted their paradigmatic uh, um, array of, of, of change, growth and change. 
and they were ripe for an e e introduction to identity. Mm -hmm. And Joseph was one of those uh, souls that I saw from, well, you said 30 miles away on the mountaintop and saw the flame of Joseph's soul and said, oh boy, he's, he's, uh, he's a plow, he's still plowing uh, with an oxen instead of a tractor. Uh, <laughs> yes, I said, was. Oh, he, he, oh, he's going to, he's going to max out on that one in the next year or two. So uh, thank you for um, being one of the bright lights in this paradigm to help me see that I wasn't uh, absolutely insane. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Until next time, wish you well on your journey. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you in episode 81. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.